The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. We begin with rally risk. Stocks facing a slide as tech giants fall, as the, and that weighs on the overall markets. But today, the futures, they are slightly higher. And President Trump entering his final week as commander-in-chief, once again finding himself at the center of impeachment proceedings. We're going to bring you the very latest from Washington. And big tech under pressure over its crackdown on the president as questions of potential new regulations, well, they surface once again. And Walmart looking to get into the fintech game, teaming up with one of the firms behind the very popular Robinhood app. And interest rates climbing higher. Could this derail the red-hot housing market? It is Tuesday, January 12th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning to you. I'm Frank Collin. I'm in for Brian Sullivan. We start with a big congratulations to Alabama crushing Ohio State in last night's college football national championship and notching its sixth title under coach Nick Saban. We'll have highlights of that match coming up. And here is how your money and the global markets, they're setting up their day. Are we going to have a big win on Alabama? It remains to be seen. But right now we see we're starting with the futures in the green the Nasdaq seeing the biggest gains, a bit of a reversal from yesterday. And as we mentioned, stocks snapping their New Year's win streak yesterday. The Dow seeing a slight dip with the S&P shedding over a percent. The Nasdaq, the big laggard, falling more than one percent. This is shares of tech giants. They were just hammered on fears of potential new regulations amid the crackdown on President Trump following last week's Capitol Hill riots. Shares now this morning, however, in the pre-market, they're actually up. Twitter, again, a reversal here. It was down about 6% yesterday, up over a percent and a half. Facebook up over a half a percent. We're also tracking shares of Tesla falling nearly 8% yesterday as investors took profits in the high-performing stock. That dropped Mark Tesla's first negative day in 12 and its worst performance since late September. We also, we have to do that check on Bitcoin. We're always watching Bitcoin. Right now we see it's actually up over 4%. The crypto falling to $31,000 yesterday after hitting an all-time high of $42,000 on Friday. All right, let's go worldwide now. Juliana Tattlebaum, she's in our London newsroom with a look at the early trade over in Europe. Hey, Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, the early trade in Europe, uh, we are seeing increased demand for the cyclical parts of the market. So as you can see, the best performing sectors this morning, travel and leisure up about 1.3 percent, alongside banks up more than 1 percent, retail 
oil and gas, basic resources, and technology. Now, this has come at the expense of some of the more defensive parts of the market. Healthcare down about to 0.2%. Household goods, media, and utilities, perhaps the most defensive sector here in Europe, down 0.8%. So some risk-on trade we're seeing come through today. And part of that could be because we've got some positive news on the vaccine front I want to highlight for you. Let me take you to AstraZeneca. Shares are trading lower, but this, of course, is a healthcare stock, so defensive, down 1.7%. The news this morning, the European Medicines Agency says it has received a request from AstraZeneca for approval of its COVID vaccine. The EU drug regulator says it will look at the quality, safety, and efficacy of the jab, adding it will accelerate its review process and deliver a decision on approval January 29th. And this is very important for Europe because the European Union has ordered 400 million doses of the vaccine, so it would make a huge difference in the vaccination rollout underway here in Europe. Frank? Juliana, thank you very much for that look at the early trade over there in Europe. Now to the latest on the COVID-19 outbreak. Bertha Coombs has that and your morning's other top headlines. Hey, Bertha. Hey, Frank, another grim milestone. The death toll in the U.S. from the virus has now topped 375,000 as the CEO of Moderna offers updates on its vaccine. Speaking at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference yesterday, Stéphane Bancel said immunity from his company's treatment should last at least a year. Bancel added his company was confident that it is well suited to deploy a vaccine based on the new variant of COVID as well, and that Moderna does not expect to have clinical trial data on its coronavirus vaccine in young children until 2022. Twitter has announced that it has now suspended 70,000 accounts associated with the far-right QAnon conspiracy theory. The company says the accounts were sharing harmful content and were primarily dedicated to spreading conspiracies. The company previously announced it would permanently remove accounts sharing QAnon content. Sticking with big tech, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and Facebook are the latest companies to announce that they are pausing contributions to their political action committees in the wake of last week's Capitol Hill attack. They join a growing wave of big businesses that have suspended or are reviewing their campaign donations, with many saying they would stop donating to Republicans who objected to the election's certification process. Frank, back over to you. All right, Bertha, thank you very much. Let's stay with the fallout over last week's violence on Capitol Hill with lawmakers in the House just laying out a timeline on a potential vote on impeaching President Trump. Tracy Potts, she joins us now from Washington. Tracy. Frank, good morning. So today we'll see President Trump for the first time since that riot publicly. He's headed down to Texas to the border wall. And while he's doing that, lawmakers here will be taking their first steps to remove him. Donald J. Trump incapable of executing. After one Republican blocked it. I object. Objection is heard. The House of Representatives plans a roll call vote today asking Vice President Pence and the cabinet to remove President Trump for inciting violence against the government. If Pence says no, would sources say he will? The next step is impeachment. As early as tomorrow, it would make President Trump the first president to be impeached. We have to stand up to this man who incited a violent riot at our nation's capital. I do not see how that unifies the country. Getting 17 Republican senators to convict the president is an uphill battle. They know the votes aren't there. You would think that they would do that. I think this is 
so ill-advised. Some Republicans say keeping it simple, just about the riot, not the election, might work. President Trump met for the first time with Pence since the Capitol attack. He's declared a federal emergency in D.C., allowing law enforcement to beef up inauguration security. There's already talk on social media of armed protests. Mass civil disturbance is something that we plan for. Uh, we have contingencies in place. Acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf resigned, and the FBI is warning law enforcement across the country to expect protests at every state capitol. Two Capitol Police officers have already been suspended. Ten or 15 others are under investigation for their actions during the riot, Frank. Tracy, thank you very much for the latest out of D.C. All right, back to the market. Stocks looking to bounce back after sputtering at the start of the new trading week. As investors, they just grew worried about stocks, stretched valuations, and big tech shares got hit on new regulation concerns. Joining me now is Rob Morgan, Sethi Company's Director of Markets, Market Strategy. Rob, thanks for being here. Hey, Frank. Good morning. So, Rob, uh, you know, we're a long way from full employment. Uh, we're a long way from the Fed's goal of 2% inflation. But you actually think that's a good thing for equities. Can you kind of explain your thesis? Absolutely, Frank. Uh, the, the Fed has basically promised uh, over several sessions now that they're going to continue to print money until they reach that the dual mandate that you talked about, full employment, 2% inflation. And we're, we're a long way from, uh, from both of those things. So that's, that's great for, for equity markets. I mean, in, in some ways, it's, uh, it's, it's bad news is good news. Um, also, too, if you, you know, and, and of course, that covers the monetary policy front. The jobs report on Friday was the worst we've seen since April of last year. And the same day, President-elect Biden called on Congress to provide more fiscal stimulus now, COVID stimulus. So, so we're, we're kind of in a sweet spot of stimulus right now from both the, the fiscal and the, the monetary standpoint. So you're unconcerned about the printing of money. What does concern you? Well, um, you know, they, uh, obviously, from the standpoint of full employment, we're, we're a long way from that. Uh, we may be a little closer to the 2% inflation uh, than we thought. Uh, I, I, I think a, a couple weeks ago, most market analysts were thinking that uh, we're a long way from that. But, but some of the re- recent reports uh, are showing we might, be, we might be closer to that. But, um, but I think it's probably a little premature to say that's, in fact, happening. Okay. Well, speaking of forecasts, Let's look ahead to financial earnings coming up this week. Financials, the best performer over the last month and number two over the last quarter or so. What are you expecting to see when banks do their earnings later this week? And what do you think could move the market higher or what could move the markets lower? Yeah, well, I think in, in, in regard to financials in particular, I think we're I think we're going to see some uh, some decent earnings, uh, at least you know beating uh, lowered lowered estimates. Um, and in fact, uh, financials are, are one of my uh, favorite sectors uh, that I like going forward. Um, you know, and, and as far as the market as a whole, uh, you know, it seems like as as I've already mentioned, we've got these uh, double barreled uh, stimulus uh, packages coming our way, not only from the Fed, but but also so from the government, that's that's should continue to provide a, an underpinning for for earnings overall going forward. And, and I certainly wouldn't underweight stocks here. I'd, I'd market weight stocks. Yeah. Speaking of um, your overweight 
on large cap stocks and you're underweight on small cap stocks. So where are you bullish? And I'm a little surprised because the Russell over the last week, that's been the outperformer over all the indexes. And a lot of people see that yeah. as a recovery <laughs> index. So are you anti-recovery? I mean, kind of give me a sense of what you're bullish on. <laughs> Well, uh, so that that call that you just mentioned there, you know, liking large cap growth stocks over small cap value stocks, it's it's mainly related to uh, to interest rates, the dollar. Uh, you know, the Fed's going to keep rates low. That should continue to pull. Uh, you know, have have some downward pressure on the dollar, and that's going to help help big cap multinationals. So, uh, not anti recovery. Uh, it's just more kind of uh, the mathematics of it all, how how it how it would play out, and and then in regard to other areas where where I'm bullish. You know, I've, I've already mentioned I like financials as far as the sector. Uh, consumer staples and energy also look attractive here as well. Yeah, we're seeing crude hit an 11th month high here. Do you see energy continuing to have uh, strong gains? And is that also tied to the recovery or is that tied to uh, industrial manufacturing picking back up again? I know we get the ISM later today. Yeah, I, yes, ISM manufacturing out today, um, and I think uh, I think as you know, obviously with uh, with energy, uh, we we certainly saw a cratering of demand uh, at, at the at the height of the pandemic, and perhaps we're at the height of the pandemic right now. Uh, but but um, yeah, we should we should see demand pick up going forward. All right, Rob Morgan from Sethi Companies, thanks for being here. We really appreciate it. All right, when we come back, China wrapping up its COVID vaccination efforts despite growing concerns about the safety and the efficacy of those drugs. We'll go live to Beijing for the very latest. Plus, Google facing fresh legal troubles over claims of abusing its power surrounding YouTube. And later, as the Biden administration prepares to take control, we talk to one former White House advisor about the key agenda items it needs to address. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's a live look at Hong Kong where the sun is just setting right now. Beautiful city. I've been there one time myself. Uh, great place to be at at nighttime. However, we're just getting started here on CNBC. All right. China is ramping up its own program to get COVID-19 vaccines out to the masses with the goal of vaccinating 50 million people in the coming weeks. But new questions are mounting about the safety and the efficacy of the state-run treatments. Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with much more. Eunice? Thanks so much, Frank. Well, China is already about a fifth of the way there, inoculating 9 million people so far. And the goal, as you said, is to vaccinate 50 million people ahead of the big travel period around the Lunar New Year holiday. So that's by mid-February. Already medical staff, essential workers, government employees, they are all the priority. And the targeted age bracket is between 18 to 59-year-olds. China's strength is in its logistics. Uh, Health workers have been trained up in all 
are on standby at community clinics as well as makeshift stations. Um, employers are being told to corral their staff and get them to those stations. And millions of doses, which are all free of charge, are already being shipped out to cities across the country. Now, the problem in China is with the vaccines because, again, uh, there are a lot of questions about the safety and efficacy. There hasn't been a whole lot of information shared on the data, very limited, and especially internationally. People here have been saying they would like to see an international peer review. Uh, we don't have it over here. And then um, the other um, interesting development, specifically with this program, Frank, is that everyone who is vaccinated as part of this program um, is also being kindly reminded as part of the paperwork not to discuss their experience uh, with this vaccine. So that doesn't necessarily help with um, trying to ease concerns about the lack of transparency around these vaccines. We do have peer review here in the United States, and we have a lot of data about these vaccines, but there's still a lot of vaccine hesitancy. Um, how worried are people there about the safety of these vaccines? Is it the lack of transparency or are there other concerns? Well, people are worried about it. Uh, a lot of that is around the lack of transparency. And people, as I, I mentioned before, uh, said that they would like to see uh, some data and an international peer review. Um, however, a, a top epidemiologist based in Shanghai indirectly addressed some of these concerns, saying that Beijing has been very good at its uh, non-medical interventionist strategies, such as lockdowns and moving aggressively to try to stamp out outbreaks. Uh, but he said now is a time to really prioritize getting a vaccination because there's a fast mutating uh, virus and uh, that's out there and potentially could come back into China. So um, his point is that in overseas, he said, uh, he doesn't expect the, vac the pandemic to really subside till the end of this year. So he said to, for China and for the Chinese to get ahead of it and to really be protected, uh, there needs to be um, a whole lot more people vaccinated, even if they are concerned about the efficacy level of this vac these vaccines. Eunice, that variant of the virus causing concerns globally, even there in China, where they've seen seemingly recovered a lot faster than we have. All right, still on deck, President Trump facing financial fallout from the Capitol Hill riots as one of his key banks overhauls how it does business with him. Stay with us. Much more coming up. Today's big number, $88.5 billion. That's the total payments the Federal Reserve sent to the Treasury Department in 2020, a nearly two-thirds jump from the previous year. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, package-less and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. And welcome back. It's 521 here on the East Coast. A live look at New York's Times Square. The lights are there. The people are not. New York City remains sleepy on this Tuesday morning. All right. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the very latest. Hey, Philip. 
Hey, Frank, good to see you. Good morning. The FBI is raising alarms about the potential for more armed protests before Joe Biden's inauguration. The Bureau is warning police nationwide that protests are being discussed on social media for every state capital by week's end, with more violence possible in Washington if Congress takes action against President Trump. New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick says he was flattered to be offered the Presidential Medal of Freedom, but declined to receive the award, citing the deadly riot at the U.S. Capitol last week as part of the reason that he would not accept the medal. In a statement, Belichick said continuing efforts of social justice, equality and human rights outweigh the benefits of any individual award. Finally, Alabama and Ohio State battling it out on Monday night for college football's national championship. The Buckeyes would keep it tight early with the help of uh, Jeremy Ruckert, but Ohio State just did not have enough. That guy right there, Devontae Smith, was on fire. He was the star of the game and the star of the season for Alabama. He proved why he was worthy of that Heisman Trophy. He ended up having 215 yards and three touchdowns in the first half alone. Roll Tide, Alabama wins it 52-24, to and that win gives Nick Saban his sixth national title as Alabama's head coach and his seventh overall. So, Frank, that makes Nick Saban, uh, it means he has more titles now than any other coach in the history of college football. He just passed the legendary Bear Bryant with that number seven. Philip, I heard you with that Roll Tide. Are you actually an Alabama fan? I know you're a Texas guy. I am not. Uh, I am not too much of a fan. But, hey, I always appreciate greatness, Frank. And uh, Alabama is certainly that. No matter what you uh, think about them, they sure do know how to win championships. Yeah, definitely. I was there when they beat uh, Notre Dame in the college football championship. So they're on quite the run. I mean, if they're not a dynasty, I don't know what is. That's exactly it. Them and the UConn women, they've just had a role uh, in this 21st century here. Absolutely. Congrats to them. All right, right. still on deck. Congressional Democrats ramping up their efforts to impeach President Trump. Eamon Jabbers is standing by with the latest on whether those efforts, they actually have the momentum to move forward. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the CNBC app, Worldwide Exchange. Back in a moment. Good morning. Futures point into a slight bounce back at the open after stocks. They started the week by snapping a win streak. Washington Watch. House Democrats introduce an article of impeachment against President Trump for inciting last week's Capitol Hill attack. And six trading days into 2021, the big market story could be rising rates. We'll talk about what this might signal for the stock market and what it could mean for industries like housing. It's Tuesday, January 12th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collin in for Brian Sullivan. Here's how your money and investments look right now as we're halfway through this 5 a.m. hour. Stock futures, they're up slightly. A bit of a reversal from yesterday. We saw the Nasdaq is the biggest laggard today, seeing the biggest gains, at least in the pre-market. Stocks snapping their New Year's win streak yesterday. The Dow seeing a slight dip with the S&P shedding over a half a percent. And as I mentioned, the Nasdaq, the big laggard yesterday, falling more than one percent. Now, this is shares of tech giants. They were really just hammered on fears of potential new regulations amid the crackdown on President Trump following last week's Capitol Hill violence. Shares right now in the pre-market in the green. We're seeing Twitter up two and a half almost percent after it dipped about six percent yesterday. Facebook also up over a half a percent. And of course, we got to do that check on Bitcoin right now. The cryptocurrency 
It stands uh, up about almost a half a percent. It fell to $31,000 yesterday, however, after hitting a new all-time high of $42,000 on Friday. Now to this morning's other big stories, Bertha Coombs, the lovely and talented Bertha Coombs. She's back with some of the day's headlines. Hey there, Bertha. Oh, you see, you can be nice when we're not talking about sports. <laughs> Meantime, Walmart. Walmart is creating a fintech startup. Walmart's so hip. The retailer is now going to partner on the project with Ribbit Capital, which is an investment firm behind Robinhood. Walmart looking to reach its customers who don't already have a relationship with a traditional bank or financial advisor. Google is being sued by YouTube rival video sharing site Rumble, which is accusing the tech giant of abusing its power by unfairly rigging its search algorithms to put YouTube above Rumble in search results. And Facebook says it will remove content that contains the phrase, stop the steal from its platforms. The company says it's looking to stop any misinformation or content that could incite further violence ahead of the inauguration. You know, we may be getting a new administration, Frank, it may be a new year, but these tech giants continue to be in people's sights as to just how much power they have. Yeah, absolutely. After what we saw last week, uh, I think a lot of people are just rethinking what we should and should not have online. Uh, Definitely a, a very divisive issue there. All right, Bertha, thank you very much. Let's stay on the topic of politics. Yesterday, House Democrats introduced an article of impeachment against President Trump. Eamon Javers joins us now with a look at what's expected today. Hey, Eamon. Yeah, good morning, Frank. The Capitol today is in the grips of two simultaneous crises. One, a security crisis. Uh, the other one, a political uh, and impeachment-related crisis, as they try to figure out their way through that uh, series of events. And let's start with uh, this crisis around security as the Capitol becomes increasingly aware uh, that there's a threat here, a, a very serious threat of more violence from Trump supporters in the days and weeks to come. There was a Republican congressman who was on the news with Shepard Smith last night who laid out exactly how the congressman feel in the wake of Wednesday's attack on the Capitol. Here's what he said. I'm expecting there will likely be more political violence. And so, you know, my expectation and the expectation of some folks I'm talking to who are trying to vote our conscience on this is that there will be folks who try to kill us. Congressman there saying that he expects there are folks who will try to kill him uh, as a result of his votes uh, to certify the Electoral College results. So take a look at where we are in terms of the security picture overall. The Capitol and uh, state capitals across the country now bracing for additional violence as the FBI warns of armed protests that are possible at all 50, all 50 state capitol buildings in the days to come. Two Capitol Police officers, meanwhile, have been suspended and 10 to 15 are under uh, uh, investigation uh, for their roles in the riot uh, on Wednesday last week, under investigation for whether they followed proper police procedure or whether or not uh, they in any way aided and abetted uh, the the rioters who stormed the Capitol building. The the acting Homeland Security Chad Wolf yesterday resigned, uh, citing recent events. So even as we have this security crisis, we don't have uh, a full-time Secretary of Homeland Security. And uh, so during the course of the day today, Frank, we're going to see a resolution on the 25th Amendment an impeachment vote likely tomorrow, uh, even as there are some concerns in the Senate about whether or not uh, that impeachment vote could move forward in that chamber, Frank. So we'll see where we go from here.
Uh, Amen. Certainly a lot of activity down there in Washington. Uh, does the Biden administration, do they have a take on what they would like to see happen? Do they actually want to see these impeachment proceedings continue <clears throat> or do they believe that would overshadow the president-elect's agenda? Yeah, look, Biden has been cautious to say that this is something that Congress uh, must make the decision on. But, of course, if the Senate is locked up in an impeachment fight right as Biden takes office, that's going to make it tricky for him to get uh, all of his various officials confirmed for the cabinet positions he selected them for. Tricky to move forward with his 100-day legislation. Uh, you know, all of that takes political oxygen out of the room. But Democrats on Capitol Hill uh, are, are terrified by what happened last week and are demanding uh, serious action be taken. So I, I don't think you're going to stop the House at this point from moving forward with impeachment uh, as soon as tomorrow. Yeah, some dramatic words from that Michigan congressperson, uh, but certainly not an exaggeration based on what we saw. Eamon Javers, right. thank you very much. All right, for more on the fallout in D.C., I'm joined by Andy Blocker, head of U.S. government affairs at Invesco. He is also the former special assistant to President uh, to the president for legislative affairs in the Clinton White House. Andy, thanks for being here. Thanks, Frank. Good to be with you. So, Andy, I was reading your bio. You have three decades of experience down there in D.C. I'm sure you've seen a lot of things happen that you can tell me about, maybe some things you can't tell me about. Where did the Capitol Hill riots, where do those rank, in your opinion, of impactful events in D.C.? And what's your take on the markets just kind of shrugging it off? Well, Frank, uh, in my 30 years in Washington, I've really never seen anything like this. And I think right now we're all just trying to get our heads around what just happened. And my conversations with members of Congress, they were terrified on that day. I mean, they were at risk. Their lives were at risk. And so I think that's uh, the takeaway. I think um, the good thing, though, on the positive side is that despite the Capitol breach, our democratic system helped. Congress finished its work that day, that very same night, to certify the election. And right now, despite the security concerns, I think with federal law enforcement, both state and local, uh, at the ready, I think we're poised for a peaceful transition of power. And I think that's the key point when we're talking about the market. The market saw that our Democratic system held. And so that's why you haven't seen this, these big gyrations. Andy, let's focus on that transition. The market saw that our Democratic institutions, they held up. But they've also heard some talk from the Biden administration about potential tax increases. So can you talk to me about just some foresight here from you? How do you see tax increases impacting the markets? And are there any other potential policies that could have a dramatic impact on the markets? So I think you're zeroing on the right point here. But let me first start with the fact that the headline here, the real headline, is that Democrats won the Senate. And with Democrats winning the Senate, that gives the Biden administration a chance to actually implement some of its agenda. And as you know, Frank, he is totally focused on COVID-19, and that means COVID-19 relief. We expect that package to be larger than it would have otherwise been in a split government, and we expect it to give state and local government help as well as more relief for individuals. We also think, and even though we had 40-plus you know, uh, infrastructure weeks during the Trump administration, I think we can actually get infrastructure relief. And then that comes to your question on tax increases. Because you're going to have to pay for infrastructure relief, um, you're going to need some tax increases. And we think first in line, corporate taxes. And so um, the quick, depending on how much they want to do, how big the package is, you could also move to some personal taxes as well. So we see that. We see that a little bit later in the year. 
So, Andy, speaking of paying for this uh, infrastructure plan that we're all expecting to see come, do you see any parts of the market that would especially benefit from that? I mean, I would imagine industrials, materials, but are there any other parts that you think would see a boost from this infrastructure package? So any growth stocks, I think that's basically you're putting the reflation trade back on. And with that, I think um, with COVID-19 relief infrastructure, it's all in that direction. And I think the tax increase part really comes in on the back end of that. So I think we all want to look forward, but we do have to take a step back and talk about this impeachment Um, proceeding or just being dropped either way. Which one would have a bigger impact on the markets, in your opinion? Well, I don't really think impeachment is the story when it comes to the markets, Um, but it does look like impeachment will not only be the story that dominates the last days of the Trump presidency. It could also be the story that dominates the beginning of the Biden uh, presidency. And the key here is to make sure that if they do impeachment, that it doesn't get in the way of the Biden agenda. And I know on your previous report with Eamon talking about there being some concern about that. Uh, Congressman Clyburn has mentioned, hey, let's do impeachment in the House. Let's wait 100 days. That's going to be hard to do. But it's out there just in case they think it's going to get in the way of the agenda. I think they can walk and chew gum at the same time, but we'll see. So you're saying it's not a big deal or it's not the big story when it comes to D.C. and the markets. You're saying it's the Senate flipping over. uh, But we're not going to really see the impact of that for at least some time because stimulus is going to happen. I think we already thought that the Senate, whether it was Republican controlled or Democrat controlled, would go forward with stimulus. So what other things do you see this Democrat controlled Senate doing that might shake up the markets or move them higher or move them lower? Yes, Frank, I think first and foremost, it allows President Biden to get his cabinet in place quickly. With Democrats in control, he's pretty much assured to get most, if not all, of his his people in place. Once his people in place, that's going to help him with the functioning of government. And then with COVID-19 relief, I think there is a difference between a split government and a Democratic-controlled government in the Senate, is that you're going to get more. You're going to get more. And so the market's going to like that, the fact that it's going to be more fiscal relief than less, and especially with state and local governments getting relief and um, small businesses and individuals. Annie Blocker from Invesco, we appreciate you lending that 30 years of experience to us this morning. We appreciate it. Have a good day. All right, coming up, we've seen a big jump in interest rates to start. The impact this could have on the mortgage market and housing. That's coming up next. But first, as we had to break some of your other top stories this morning, Deutsche Bank will reportedly no longer do business with President Trump or his companies. This, according to The New York Times, the bank is considered to be Trump's most important lender with $340 million in loans outstanding to the Trump Organization. The U.S. announcing it will start collecting new tariffs on aircraft parts and wines from France and Germany today. This comes after it failed to resolve a 16-year dispute over aircraft subsidies with the EU. And two medical equipment suppliers are reportedly in talks to merge. The Wall Street Journal says Steris and Cantel Medical are discussing a mostly stock deal. An announcement could come as soon as today. Stay tuned. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back. A programming note, CNBC will have coverage throughout the day of the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, including interviews with some of the sector's biggest names. That includes the CEOs of Eli Lilly, Pfizer, Novartis and LabCorp. 
Interest rates, they've been rising sharply at the start of 2021. Perhaps no industry is more sensitive to this than housing. Record low mortgage rates in recent months, they've helped keep costs down for buyers as home prices. They just continue to rise due to high demand and tight supply of homes on the market. Let's talk more about what's ahead for housing in 2021 with Mark Fleming, chief economist at First American Financial. Mark, thanks for being here. Good morning. So, Mark, I think the thing we have to talk about right away is affordability. I'm reading The Washington Post right now. They say 55 percent of homes in Q4 2020 were more expensive than they have been in the past, uh, relatively, according to that metric. Is affordability going to become an, an issue here? Well, those houses are largely more expensive because, as you just mentioned, we've had rock bottom low mortgage rates, meaning 2.65 percent 30 year fixed rate mortgage just a week or so ago will drive a ton of house buying power and You know, you don't buy the home necessarily based simply on the actual value of it, but how much it costs you per month. And when those mortgage rates are so low, that cost per month is also lower. So that demand dynamic is affordability is driven by the monthly payment. And that's as cheap as it's ever been in terms of the mortgage rate at 2.65 percent recently. So how much is this market being juiced by the at least belief that we're going to get back to full employment at some point and we're going to have a recovery sometime in 2021? Right. I think it's interesting. We, you know, the the 10-year Treasury yield, which the bench, the mortgage is benchmarked often to, is um, you know now rising above one percent. I could have sworn it was a year ago where we were shocked that it had gone below one percent. So this sort of idea of you know a high 10-year yield at less, well below two, still drives very, very low mortgage rates. So even though mortgage rates will likely rise a little bit, they will still, by any historic standard, remain very low. The purchase side of the market will be less affected by that. There will be a lot of impact on the refinance market, which is much, much more sensitive to rising rates. So we would expect to see a lot fewer refinance transactions as rates rise. So we're getting some conflicting news about the virus. The virus has obviously been a catalyst for a lot of people to move out of urban areas, buy new houses, even buy furnishes and things that have just really spurred the housing market and also some of the other supplementary businesses. Um, With the idea that a vaccine is going to be widely spread at some point in 2021, I think we mostly believe that. How does that impact the housing market? Well, I I think, you know, home has been the penultimate stay at home stock because while Netflix and all these other things were very popular and during pandemic, having a home to watch them in is also pretty important. Um, And that dynamic of demand will still be there. Clearly, though, You know, a healthy economy driven by the vaccine rollout and not having to worry about a pandemic anymore, that benefits everybody, including the housing market. Sentiment is lower now around purchasing homes and selling homes, not because of something really in the housing market, because if you're a seller, would you really want to open your home up for sale right now? And if you're a buyer, you're really struggling with the idea of finding something to buy because none of those sellers are making their homes available for sale. So you can't buy what's not for sale and people don't want to list homes for sale because of the pandemic right now. So right now we're showing a chart of uh, new home sales and we saw like a big spike in July and June. Is there another big spike coming in the springtime? We often have talked about the spring home buying season. Are we going to see that again in 2021? I think so. Demand for new homes and building of homes is very strong. And that's not just a pandemic situation. That's a 10 year deficit now of not building enough, which is one of the other reasons why we have such a tight supply. So lots and lots of demand for home sales. And while the labor market report last week showed a decline in the construction side, we actually hired more. So there's a lot of demand for new homes. And I expect that to continue next year or this year. 
When we talk about demand for new homes, are we talking single family homes in the suburb or just people looking just for more space just in case this variant or we see more lockdowns? Um, which one is it? Oh, clearly single family, lower mid price sort of first first time home buyer homes in the suburbs is are the most popular. Um, and that's, again, not just pandemic related. That's the fact that millennials have now are now aging into that first time home buyer phase of life. And they were already sort of making that shift to the suburbs because the lifestyle choices that are made along with owning a home make the suburbs more popular. That said, any housing is good at the moment, given the shortage of overall stock supply that we have today in the United States. Yeah, definitely a hot market. I know some people looking for houses. They say by the time they put an offer in, it's already sold. Mark Fleming, we really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. On deck, tech stocks coming under pressure amid controversy about policing content and expectations of more regulation. What investors need to know next. And if you haven't already subscribed to our new podcast, you really should. Worldwide Exchange every day in audio form. If you miss us, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And we will be right back. Welcome back. Let's take a look at big tech after some social media stocks. They really got hit hard yesterday after carrying out bans on President Trump and various far right voices. Those moves adding fuel to calls by some for increased regulation in that sector. For more on all this, I'm joined by Jason Ware, partner and CIO of Albion Financial. Hey, Jason. Good morning, Frank. So, Jason, tech, it's trading higher here in the pre-market today. But yesterday we saw tech just get slammed. Twitter down six percent. We saw some other names outside the social media stocks also get hit, including Alphabet and Amazon, even Visa. In light of all this, are you still bullish on big tech? Yeah, we are. You know, I, I think it makes sense to continue to own high quality companies in the portfolio. You know, I don't know whether tech's going to outperform this month or next month relative to value and cyclicals. But what I do know is that it's important as an investor to, uh, you know, continue to have exposure to what are secular growth stories and technology, whether it's Visa, which is way outside of the social media fold and, and really has nothing to do with what we're seeing regarding regulation and bans, or whether it's Google that's a little bit closer to uh, that sphere with YouTube and controlling content on YouTube, which is important. Uh, you know, we think that these uh, these companies with high returns on capital and that are leaders in their space still make sense. You don't have to have all of your portfolio in technology. 100% exposure doesn't make sense. But continuing to have uh, these investments for two, five, two, three, and five-year time horizons, we think is is wise for investors. All right, Jason, we want to continue to talk about investing in tech. But now we also want to bring in Alex Kantrowitz, founder of Big Technology and also a CNBC contributor. It's hard to talk about big tech without talking about social media right now, Alex. Thanks for being here. Uh, can you, your recent newsletter kind of spelled out the rise of what many people call far right leaning apps like Parler, another one that I'd actually never heard of called Gab, mm -hmm. in a sentence or two. Could you kind of just break down what all of us should know about these apps? Right. So I think that's something that we really need to pay attention to is what happens when the big social media companies, companies like Facebook and Twitter start banning folks. Uh, and that is that they don't just, you know, leave the Internet. They go elsewhere and they're finding their way to these free speech social networks, places like Gab, places like Parler. Uh, Parler is now offline, but Gab is still online, uh, which basically their strategy is we're not going to moderate as a policy. Uh, so there are no content guardrails there. Uh, and that's where a lot of this activity, stuff like the QAnon, uh, and some have said even planning of the storming of the Capitol have taken place inside these alternate, uh, you know, free speech social networks. 
uh, like Parler and Gab, and they're worth paying attention to because, you know, my, my big thing here is that history doesn't end with a ban on Twitter. So, Jason, I'm going to turn things back over to you. Uh, Alphabet, Google, Amazon, another big name companies, Facebook, Twitter, obviously, as well. They've decided that there are some guardrails and it doesn't seem that investors agree with that. Do you see that being a long term take for investors? Because those stocks, they closed down pretty sharply yesterday. Yeah, I think this too shall pass, just like the regulatory risks that we've seen over the past couple of years where, you know, Alphabet, i.e. Google, had a big target on its back. You know, Google was at all-time highest priority yesterday's uh, yesterday's dip. So, you know, I, I think certainly over the short run, these are things that investors pay attention to and, and indeed traders get nervous about. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, the, the, the tailwinds behind the backs of these large technology companies that are by and large outside of the Twitter ban fold that certainly aren't playing in the parlor and gab space. I mean, sure, Amazon cut off the computing power to parlor um, you know, over the last couple of days, uh, I don't think that's going to impact Amazon's story in e-commerce and cloud. I will say that these large technology companies that we prefer, whether it's a Visa or a Microsoft or an Amazon or a Google, et cetera, the really defining feature of all these companies is that they're taking friction out of the systems in which they operate, the industries in which they operate. And that's uh, encouraging nonlinear type uh, behavior, for example, with Amazon and e-commerce. I don't know about you guys, but I see a lot more boxes on my doorstep over the last five years and indeed during this pandemic. So it's encouraging us to shop more with Amazon because they're making it so easy. So I think when you own companies like that and technologies that are innovative like that, uh, good things happen over the long term. Yeah, Jason, boxes, uh, those pouches with the bubble wrap, even just plastic. I think we're all ordering a lot more online. So much of it. Uh, Alex, I want to turn things back over to you. Um, Obviously, the president, he's been kicked off of Twitter, but he was a really big attraction for social media sites. How does, how does a Twitter, a Facebook and other, these other sites, how do they make up for the attention that someone like the president or even some of these so-called far right groups can garner? Yeah, I think they're going to be just fine. Uh, one of the things about you know a company like Twitter or a company like Facebook is um, they either give you real time information or they help you connect with your friends and family. And just because one user isn't on the service anymore doesn't mean the demand for real-time information in Twitter's case or connecting with friends and family in Facebook's case is gone. So, uh, you know, early on when Donald Trump was, you know, making a lot of noise on Twitter in his candidacy in the early stages of his presidency, I did some research and actually found that he wasn't making a major difference in terms of usage on the platform. So think about the news cycle uh, more and less about a newsmaker. Uh, and I expect these companies to be able to um, navigate the potential loss of engagement from the absence of Donald Trump uh, pretty easily. Alex, interesting insight there that the president's presence on Twitter doesn't really increase usage, even though he had about 89 million followers. Jason, I'm going to give you the last word. While maybe the president doesn't increase usage of a Twitter or a Facebook, banning him certainly had an impact on the stocks. And while you don't foresee that lasting a long time, is there a way to hedge some of the things that we've seen through an ETF or some other way? Uh, I'm not sure there's a way to hedge any kind of bumps in these stocks, but there are certainly ways to get exposure to a broader technology theme that not only avoids some of the pitfalls of, you know, banning and, and free speech and, you know, one party versus another. Um, and that's, again, owning companies that, you know, regardless of, of what one's view on regulation may be, 
you know, have strong enough tailwinds at their backs that they're just continuing to grow their earnings and cash flows and revenues at a pace that's much faster than the market. I mean, if you look at these large cap technology companies that we own, we also own an ETF called uh, W Cloud. It's Wisdom Trees Cloud ETF that has a collection of 50 so 50 or so mid cap. Uh, cloud and cybersecurity work from home stocks that we think, you know, is a nice theme for the next few years. I think there are ways to get exposure to technology where you, you know, you don't have these kind of potential problems uh, with a Twitter. We used to own Twitter. I think it's a great platform. I use it a lot, but I don't think I agree with Alex. I don't think just because Donald Trump is not tweeting, that's really going to impact their business model. I mean, if Justin Bieber left tomorrow, would we be talking about this? Probably not. He has more followers than Donald Trump. If you want to know what Trump is thinking, you get that outside right. of Twitter. You, Jason, I mean, you can see that. Jason, we got to run. So anyway, we appreciate that insight into your musical taste. Uh, Jason sure, Ware from sure. All Beyond Financial and Alan Kantrowitz from Big Tech, thanks for joining us. And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 